Hey, voice teacher, it is Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast, podcast number 37, is all about the young singing larynx. My special guest is Dana Lentini. Now, Dana is a passionate voice teacher and a pedagogue who is a champion for young singers. And she has also become a very dear friend. Dana is my co-moderator on our Facebook group, Voice Teachers for Young singers. And today she is sharing her research about working with young voices. And she's going to clear up some of those myths about working with young singers in voice lessons. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, resources for private, classroom, and choral music programs. And here's your host, Nikki Loney. So, Dana Lentini, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so excited to introduce you to everybody. How are you doing? I'm great, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be a guest on your podcast. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. So I just want to give everybody a little backstory of how we met, which is which is like most modern love stories because we met online. like I do so many colleagues nowadays. Um, But um, just briefly, we, um, I guess it it was probably on the Professional Voice Teachers Forum. And there was probably a question about working with children. And I'm pretty sure you posted something so positive and wonderful because you have this incredible background about working with children, which you're going to share with everybody. And I think I immediately commented that I wanted to get to know you uh, and I wanted to know about your research and then we became friends immediately of course <laughs> well, who couldn't become friends with you Nikki? oh you're so sweet and <laughs> but it turns out really spooky that you are my doppelganger <laughs> you have well okay let me explain so you are married to a guitar player yep and I am married to a guitar player and we both love singing and teaching singing, and we both love working with kids in the teaching studio. Mm-hmm. And you also have a son named Noah. I know. Oh yeah. my gosh. And I have a son named Noah. <laughs> Except I think mine is a lot different than yours. Mine's not a baseball player. He's a musical theater guy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, my heart. <laughs> yes, <laughs> my little... My, 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 my little guy's so obsessed with baseball. It's not funny. (laughs) And, and Sean and I go to all his baseball games. We're like, Hey, we're like musicians. (laughs) Actually, I'm that crazy lady that screams like a lunatic, like an absolute lunatic. Like, cause I use all my voice training (laughs) to bellow across the fields. Like everybody can hear me. So. The, the, the neighborhood talks. But um, I'm so glad to have you here. And uh, I just uh, I just can't wait for you to share uh, your information about you. So can we start with um, uh, just a like an intro to how your journey of singing, how you got into teaching and of course, you know, why you're so passionate about working with kids. Can we start there? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I started taking voice lessons when I was like 12 or 13. It was the Annie phase, you know, in the late 70s, I, you know. And, and so I just, I wanted to sing and I loved all of that stuff. And so 
I continued through high school and then went on to University of Southern California to major in voice performance, where I met my husband, oh. who was he was a graduate student studying classical guitar and composition. And so after we graduated, we moved to Michigan, where he got his first teaching post at a university. And he's actually a native of Michigan. So oh. um, so he loves Michigan. <laughs> 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 I like Michigan too. It's just cold in the winter time. So Oh, you're talking to a Canadian. I I get it. I totally get it. I'm a California girl. So oh, man. Anyway, but I was excited about moving to Michigan, especially when I was younger and starting out a career in singing because I was getting closer to New York City. And oh. I thought that was so awesome. So, you know, after we moved, I continued to, you know, study and work and started doing some regional opera work and sang with um, orchestras and, and, you know, doing some recital work. And then, you know, I started teaching while doing all of that to make, you know, extra money, extra cash. And that's why I started it. And I, you know, realized how much I loved it. And so, you know, then I think, the word gets out at your church and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so they approached me at my church and asked me if I would take over the children's choir. And, you know, you're like, well, I'm a performer. I don't really do that. But I opened my mind to the possibility and I did it and I loved it. And then I did that for about five or six years. And then my husband took a new position in New Jersey. Uh, he took an administrative position at another university and so when we moved there, um, I had to start over. Wow. And fortunately for me, when we got there, the university where he was at um, asked me if I would teach some vocal pedagogy and studio voice to their music education majors. Because at this particular school, all of the music education majors, whether they were flute or piano or whatever they were doing in music ed, they were required to take a vocal pedagogy class and a semester of voice lessons because of the you know, understanding that most likely you're going to be teaching at a school where you're going to have to know the instrument of the voice. And I thought that was just a really brilliant thing. So, so that was where I started, you know, getting more, um, teaching at the university level. And then while that was going on about a year later, I get a call from my, my boys, um, principal at their parochial school like three weeks before school started, if even three weeks, I get a call saying, our music teacher isn't coming back. Would you teach music? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, you know, taking back a little bit going, wow, you know, gee, I've never done that, but I have done a children's choir. And here I am at this university teaching to music education majors. You know, I've got a lot of resources at my fingertips. I'm sure I can do this. So I did, and I was teaching in the classroom, K through six, which wow. had its challenges. But, you know, I'm it, it, it taught me a lot. You know, that's what teaching does to us, right? It teaches us so many things. Oh, absolutely. So, so I did that for three or four years, and then my husband took another position. <laughs> and we moved back to the Midwest, and we were in Southwest Ohio. And, you know, every time we move... You know, I'm faced with reinventing myself, especially as a as an independent contractor, voice teacher. So it's wow. always a little challenging. And and this time, 
you know, I wasn't moving with two kids because while we were in New Jersey and all that other crazy stuff was going on, I had my third child. Oh, wow. <laughs> so then we moved and I had all these little kids to get squared away in a new home and all of that. And, you know, interestingly, also with all of this is that my my boys, well, my daughter too, all of my kids have taken Suzuki violin. And my oldest son, Luke, who you met, uh, he is um, still a violin major and pursuing a career as a violinist. My other two have not taken to it (laughs) as much, (laughs) but they, you know, they lasted a really long time. But anyway, so as a Suzuki parent and the, and the methodology behind um, the Suzuki um, technique is also very rooted in my teaching and what I do. And so I, I bring that up because then when my kids were taking, when we moved to Ohio, my boys were taking violin lessons down at um, a conservatory school. And while I was there, I was kind of like, well, gee, maybe I should be teaching here. And so I started teaching on the Saturdays when I would take them down to their lessons. And and it was at that time then I was getting phone calls and inquiries about taking on kids. And I was sticking to my guns with that same old story that we're all taught. You've got to wait till you're 13 or so, you know, and, and while you wait, start taking piano lessons or, or violin lessons, you know, or, or, or join a choir. You know, I, I, I did that whole speech that I was always taught because, you know, you don't take kids. Um, and then I started really asking myself, you know, well, why not? Because I've done children's choirs and I've taught in the elementary school and, you know, kids, kids use their voices. And so why is it so dangerous or why don't we teach kids? So I finally caved and decided to start a, a voice class. And I started the voice class thinking, okay, we can do this in a group setting. So I kind of combined all of that background that I had with my children's choir and my classroom teaching and then also you know, my interest in pedagogy and whatnot. So when I started the voice class, it's when I really started to develop my curriculum. Again, when you're in the classroom, you have to have Mm -hmm. a curriculum, right? Your principal is saying, I need your curriculum. (laughs) You know, they need to have this stuff. So, you know, I was kind of learning the ropes with curriculum building when I was doing that. So I kind of built my born to sing kids sequence, um, with that, with the voice class. And, you know, it was a huge success. And so that went on for a good six years. And then my husband took another position. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this, this podcast is about the, the, uh, the young singing larynx, but honestly, I should, uh, we should do another podcast because you've had to relocate and start over so many times and that's such a huge challenge it's a huge challenge and i i i have to say i'm i your your willingness to jump into all these different things is so inspiring because i mean it's so terrifying right you know moving is terrifying and then starting a new business is terrifying so i kudos to you for everything that you went through and all the changes you've been through that's so I love hearing that. It's so inspiring. Thank you for sharing oh, all that. Thank you. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, at the time it's never, it's hard. It's really hard. And, um, 
But this particular move brought us to a university where they actually had a master's degree in vocal pedagogy. So it almost seemed like serendipity. The universe. The universe was calling you. Yes, because I really wanted to update my teaching skills, especially with our with all of the uh, social media, you know, chat rooms. You know, you read all of these things and people are so smart out there. And I felt like, gee, I was still teaching in the 20th century with these notions, these myths, you know, and that first myth that, you know, that kids can't sing. Mm. And, you know, if they can learn to take the violin lessons, if they can learn to play the violin at age three, you know, what, why can't they, why can't they take voice lessons, you know? And then the other myth that I really wanted to set out and, 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 you know, gain more insight on was the the whole notion that if you learn to sing classical you can sing anything and so um you know oh and then the other one belting is is bad and dangerous right so I really wanted to debunk these myths and bring my teaching to the 21st century and that's what I I did with going back to school which again that was not easy believe me being in the classroom with these you know really intelligent 20 year olds and being my age I didn't even know how to use a computer really (laughs) well again you know thank you for sharing that because I think that is something that a lot of teachers uh, you know who have years of experience teaching you know and you work so hard day after day and then all of a sudden you put your head up and you realize oh my gosh I've got to upgrade my skills whether it's learning to use a computer or becoming more internet savvy or or going back and, and learning about you know, the, the new voice science or, or anything like that. Like, wow. It is so true. Every industry, every single industry, the fast food industry, the, you know, shopping industry, the grocery store industry, every industry is changing dramatically Mm -hmm. right now as we speak. So, yeah. yeah, so we're we can't we can't think that singing teachers are exempt from all these crazy changes. Exactly. <laughs> so you did your master's um, thesis, your master's res- research. Yes. Okay. On on working with children, can you tell everybody a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah. So you know, I again. The, the degree was in, in pedagogy, and I just had this real interest in um, the kids. And so as I was kind of, you know, trying to find, you know, through the, the two years or the first year, especially, you know, the, their professors are trying to get you to hone in on what your thesis is going to be about. And, and I had a good idea, um, but, um, you know, it was really, again, from my pedagogy background that kind of... Um, led me to wanting to um, dig into teaching the prepubescent singer in the private studio. But really, I wanted to get my hands on like the the physical parts of it and maybe why is it so dangerous? And, you know, I really wanted to answer that question, that mm-hmm. nagging question. Why is it dangerous to teach kids? And... Um, and as I, you know, really kept digging, I, I couldn't really, during my master's, find out the physical questions that I was looking for. And I have to say, um, I was really surprised after several emails to really distinguish pedagogues and vocologists and ENTs. 
I got no response from anybody. And yeah. And, and maybe I guess it's just not that prevalent out there, but I finally actually after my master's, um, so my, my thesis ended up being teaching the prepubescent singer in the private studio. So I really honed in on my, on my curriculum Mm -hmm. and just gaining research on how it's evolved and how teaching the young singer actually was very common back centuries ago. If you really think about the boy choir tradition and all of that, it, you know, children were singing and um, it really wasn't until, you know, the 20th century that that children were kind of banned from the teaching studio. And and I really attribute that, and and it's in my thesis a lot, which is the master-apprentice model that I throw around a lot, which that whole master-apprentice model is, you know, we take voice lessons and we kind of teach based on the way we were taught. And so if we weren't taught when we were eight in the private studio and we only really were taught and we were thinking about how we were taught in our late teens, 20s, you know, college years, you're not taught the way we teach kids. So I want to, I just want to backtrack a little bit because I find that really interesting. It's something that we first discussed when when we first met. So the master apprentice approach, mm-hmm. we, because we, we don't think about that, but that's exactly what a lot of the dynamic is in a lot of voice studios. Yes. I would even challenge people so far in this day and age that the master apprentice doesn't work with a lot of the millennials either. <laughs> well, especially if you haven't updated your teaching skills. <laughs> uh, well, and I'm not being, I'm not being like um, insulting or rude. I, or, no, or, or I just, no. I just think that the way that everything is personalized now, like yes. every, everybody expects to be catered to, to a certain extent. And not, not that I'm saying you should cater, but I think we need to like that master apprentice definitely does not work with children, but I think it's, it's questionable in, in a lot of other mm-hmm. areas. No, you're absolutely right. And that's again, being in the classroom, being back in my master's and seeing how the millennials, how they are. I mean, boy, they're a lot different from when I was in school. Everything is different. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. But so backtracking to when I was saying how, so I was, when I was doing my thesis, I, I really didn't get my hands on those resources because I really did want to have that factual understanding of how mm-hmm. the voice worked, especially mechanically with the kids. And it was really, I, I found late spring, this last spring, um, and spent the summer reading some really comprehensive studies. But interestingly enough, they were done by speech language pathologists pathologists in the academic setting. So that's really where I found some great, great resources was from these, these studies done by SLPs. So, okay. That's so interesting. Can you dive into that a little bit? So what, what, tell everybody what you were working on this summer. Well, so I, I, you know, I, I got, I found a book. It's actually a book written by some, um, academic professors that are teaching speech language pathology at the university level. And they have a book called the pediatric voice and the pediatric voice is basically their book is for, um, speech language pathologists, but it really digs into the whole, um, 
collaborative approach to care of the larynx and the understanding of the mechanism. And, you know, I think that there's not a lot of, this is just my own, you know, two bit. (laughs) Go right ahead understanding really you know we know that viewing the vocal folds isn't comfortable right you know Mm. stroboscopies and laryngoscopes you know and I think what willing parent or child is going to (laughs) say yes I sign up for that I'm going to go be in this research study fair enough fair enough (laughs) I think most of the studies are done on patients that have sought the expertise of a medical professional for some sort of you know pathology or something so Um, and that really, that's an interesting thing. So how many kids actually get diagnosed with, you know, some kind of pathology and, you know, in, in this book, I came across a study that was done, um, of about 160,000 children. It was a, a study that surveyed these pediatric otolaryngologists that, you know, cumulatively, you know, added up to about 160,000 children. And it showed that out of the ones that they examined, only 1%, 1% of those children examined had a voice problem. And out of that, only a fifth of that group had a voice problem related to the professional use of the voice. So that's 0.2% of voice problems related to singing. So all those teachers that are or people, anybody that's out there saying that we're going to do all this damage to these children's voices <laughs> need to maybe get their hands on this, this information. <laughs> well, you know, and I think that, but it's that one kid that like, you know, I've had kids that have come to my studio in high school that were taking voice lessons um, and were, you know, singing pop tunes with the voice teacher and they came to me with some pathology but you know is the pathology related to that or maybe it could have been related to something else but that didn't help right you know because vocal nodules are really not commonly diagnosed in children and this study actually went on to say that vocal fold nodules more often appear to be primarily caused from some sort of trauma Um, Some people could say, well, that trauma was from that child singing, but (laughs) in the hands of a very good, skilled teacher, and let's face it, even high school, college, adults are not all in the hands of the best teachers that could also be causing some kind of trauma. Um, But But trauma, could trauma not be um, like a medical condition, like acid reflux or something? Yes. Or, you know, in in this book, actually a lot of the the pathology that they saw was due to maybe children, you know, they have like a whole survey that they did. Maybe the child was, um, I think, is it intubated when they were born or like preemies that, you know, like if there was, you know, any kind of instruments used in their air passageways at some point in their life that can cause can cause issues you know I know kids that I I, you know we're voice teachers so we are very attuned I have friends that I can hear some some dysphonia in there I can Mm. you know but I'm not going to say it to them. They're not right. coming to me for voice lessons. But you, you know, and they don't even. And they'll say to me, "Oh, I can't sing." And I'm kind of like, "Well, yeah, you kind of need to have those vocal folds looked at because <laughs> there are people that just have some sort of 
issue that maybe they're not even aware of, but they've never really pursued it. So can I share? I just want to share for a second. It's been my experience. And and I, again, I'm not a medical expert, but I've had those, those people that come to me that just generally speaking, they speak poorly. Like they speak at a volume, which is really terribly too loud. They do, they're very extreme with the use of their voice, whether it's vocal fry or they do a lot of like pushing down when they speak. And it's always been my experience that those people struggle with their speaking. So of course I'm going to find some strangeness in their singing. Um, and I've also had the experience with with students of all ages that are on sports teams and they are screaming at sports teams, kind of like me when I scream at my son's baseball games. Like there's it's it's not just the singing that's it's not it's not the singing at all for them. It's how they use their voice in day to day. Yes. Well, it's interesting that you you say that because, again, when they talk about, they have some case-by-case studies in this book. And, again, these are not singers. They're kids that have come to their um, offices for help in improving whatever pathology they have. And some of the pathology is actually kids that you know, that play sports because Mm -hmm. they're out there screaming and yelling. And so they're out on the, you know, field hollering and things. So when we talk about, you know, a trauma caused from, you know, something, what is it? Is it voice lessons or maybe it's just something else? And one of the things that we as voice teachers, I think, you know, two of the main things that we can do to, be aware of um, guarding the young voice is intensity and duration. And when we get into um, some of the technical stuff that I'm going to talk about, that's two words that we as voice teachers need to always be thinking about intensity and duration, because that's with the young um, maturing voice, that's where it's dangerous. You know, if we're, you know, it's not dangerous to have them belt a little bit, but it is if you're, you know, saying louder, louder, more, more, and making them do that. And that gets back to that master apprentice model Mm -hmm. where, you know, you've had a, a, you know, your brilliant podcast on lesson pacing. You know, we can't pace the lessons the way the master apprentice model, which is you come into a lesson. How was your day? Great. Okay. Let's vocalize for half the lesson. And then let's sing repertoire for the half the lesson, you know. A child, a young instrument does not have the attention span nor the physical capabilities. So while it's not bad to belt with them, it's it's bad if you're making them belt for 30 minutes um, and sing louder. Can you sing that louder? You know, Mm. that is where the intensity and duration is what we need to keep in check. Well, and conversationally speaking, I know that I have colleagues who are Uh, have expressed their concerns about the um, some of the children's choirs some of the some of the more um, competitive or I would say like Mm -hmm. the professional children's choruses have demanding performance schedules especially around Christmas time um, Mm -hmm. you know or if they're touring uh, and and of course they have they have lengthy rehearsals and I know that more than one of my colleagues and I certainly have have had this where my students in these choirs are tired they are vocally tired 
And again, it's it's not my choirs, but I have, and I, you're in this awkward position. But yeah, and I think too, I, I, the other thing I wanted to add in there was our piano colleagues don't make a young child sit and play nonstop at the piano. They recognize that this isn't conducive to a lesson that sticks. Mm-hmm. Right. They need breaks, right? Yeah, it's the same in the violin lessons, you know. Right. Suzuki, Suzuki tapped into this very early on, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to start with the the interesting facts about a child's larynx? Yes. Want to start so, there? I'm so, so excited. I cannot wait. <laughs> so let's just start at birth. So a child is born with all of the same parts. Okay. Okay. But proportionately, things are different. Just like when you look at a chubby little baby, right? Mm-hmm, right. They, all the parts are there, their legs, their arms, their toes, their nose, and their face, your ears, but everything is proportionately very different. So they're not just mini versions of an adult. They have you know, their own set of proportions. Right. So, and then within that, there are one thing that we need to know is that there are really rapid changes in the laryngeal and respiratory system throughout childhood, but especially the rapid changes are really from birth to like three and four years of age. Okay. Um, and so then kind of that, that age between four years old and puberty, things slow down so they're not as rapid because then we know what's going to happen in puberty and we have a, we'll, we'll get into that. But so at birth, that laryngeal cartilage is softer and it's about a third of the size of an adult structure. Mm-hmm. And then the really important part too is the thyroid. The thyroid is rounded and also the arytenoids are proportionately different. Okay. So, and then Another main thing to know is that the larynx itself actually sits much higher in the neck. So we we know all that talk about high larynx, low larynx. You know, that's one of those l- lovely discussions you want to watch on those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to, you just want to, you want to troll that. You don't want to get involved in it. You want to no. troll it. Yeah. But so the larynx sits much higher in the neck and that's actually... Um, changing through through the puberty um, as as the larynx is is kind of lowering. So there's also this gradual lengthening of the pharynx. And, you know, I hope I don't start using too much terminology that some people are going like, what is she talking about? But the pharynx, as voice teachers, we all kind of really need to know that. That's the, yeah. the space yeah, in think- the back of our mouth, the throat, the nasal cavities. It's really our resonator for our right. sound. And so that there's a gradual lengthening of the whole pharyngeal space on really through like 16 years of age. Okay. And, um, but, but the, the most important and dramatic difference is really found in the microstructure of the vocal folds themselves. Mm. And, and, and so the vocal folds, as we know, are the vibrating source for our sound. So here's where if I, you know, if I get too technical, just say, whoa, you know. Oh, no, this is all good. I, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so histological studies showed that there's fewer layers to the lamina propria. Um, and so what is that? The, the, the lamina propria is that fine tissue layer that makes up our vocal folds. Right. Um, and without getting really overly scientific and boring, the vocal folds are made up of really three different types of tissues. And within that structure in adults, um, 
the lamina propria, one of those tissue layers, has three different components to it. But in children and until puberty, the studies have showed that those layers are not present until puberty. So that's why these layers, you know, become prominent through puberty. So these layers, we have to think of them, right, as having height, width, and depth. And, and that's kind of why we've come to refer to them as vocal folds now and not right. cords, although we use those terms interchangeably, vocal cords, vocal folds. Mm-hmm. But the term fold really kind of better describes that multidimensional and multilayered composition of the structure. Mm-hmm. So just keeping all of that in mind, if that wasn't all too like, whoa, between the ages of six and 12, you know, there's these all those layers are not really there. And the changes that are occurring in that whole stage are kind of slow and gradual. And then it's puberty, the oh, magic, the magic puberty stage. monster. <laughs> <laughs> that is is where we see that change. So, should we do boys and girls separately here? Because it's different. It is. But let me just. So what? Let's just talk about puberty, okay. and and then I will. I will kind of. Like within that kind of, yes. So the, the thyroid cartilage, first of all, boys and girls, is the main factor of the change in puberty. So there's a dramatic growth that's different in the girls than it is to the boys. Um, and just on a sidebar for that, you know, recent research shows that the average age for change now is like 12 and a half for boys and 10 for girls. Wow. And yeah, that's a lot earlier than it was 50 years ago. Yes. So, and wow. yeah. What, so, you know, I'm not going to really dig into why all of these hypotheses are for this phenomenal mm-hmm. phenomenon. But let's just say that, you know, it is a global change. It's not just something that's regional. Right. Um, so, but the average onset of puberty, you know, for some of us older teachers, <laughs> um, it's understanding that it's it's happening earlier than it used to. So, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, the muscles of that larynx, they're going to increase in size and length for both boys and girls. But another really important thing for us all to know is that while they are increasing in that size and length, they don't increase in strength with that. Now that is interesting. Yes. So, and that's, that's again, one of those things that we need to be careful of intensity and duration and not expect, you know, grand results right away. We need, you know, slow, slow things. We can't expect big dramatic changes. The vocal folds themselves, you know, while they may reach the length and size by the end of puberty, it's, it's, again, important to understand that all those connective tissues that I was talking about before mm. are really increasing in, in their size and quantity well into adulthood. So while the structure of maybe the thyroid is there, those kind of connective tissues are still, are still developing. Wow. So let's, let's get into the girls. So okay. one of the things that we know um, about the girls and, you know, that one book, Ophelia's Voice, is a great... Oh, Finding Ophelia's Voice, yes. Yeah, a great book for anybody that wants to get a little bit better understanding on puberty. That is a great book. You know what? I will put a link to that on the podcast page. So 
adolescent girls, the, the biggest thing that we know about is that breathiness. Mm. And um, that breathiness is very common, and that's due to the glottal chink. And that glottal chink um, is what is caused by the weaker adductory muscles um, at the back of the vocal folds. So, you know, a lot of times people want to get rid of that breathiness, but that's actually, again, that's their, their body's response to that growing and maturing. And I don't think that we need to push those things. Um, you know, that breathiness will come out in time. Mm. So, um, the other thing that really affects girls during puberty is, you know, that onset of their monthly cycle mm-hmm. and, you know, just understanding, you know, that, you know, water retention and swelling, you know, of the vocal folds can happen. And just in general, girls can be, you know, you know, dealing with cramps and general discomfort for the right. first time in their lives. So those are things that we need to be taking into consideration in the studio. Mm-hmm. But it's our boys. It's our boys that are so special. <laughs> and and so the boys, the basic thing to understand is that the male vocal folds go uh, undergo nearly twice as much growth as the female. Right. So the boys' vocal folds are the, the, the mechanism, not just the vocal folds, but the whole mechanism is it is having about a 65% increase in growth and the female is only about 34%. So that's a big difference. And then the main thing too with the boys is they're growing from front to back. So they're getting that front prominence to the, to the thyroid, which is why they have that prominence of the Adam's apple. And the female is still a little more rounded in, in the thyroid and doesn't have that same front to back. Girls grow more um, in height than they do in the front to back of the, of the thyroid. So then keeping all of that in mind now, then their vocal folds, um, the boys vocal folds are growing in their length and in thickness. And then that's why we have such a dramatic change in their vocal quality because thicker vocal folds mean lower frequencies, meaning lower pitches. Um, So, you know, that's kind of an obvious, right? (laughs) So, and, and then through puberty, as I mentioned before, that thickening part of the vocal folds is getting all of those layers to the lamina propria and that microstructure. Um, And so that is all occurring in both boys and girls. But so I hope that kind of clarifies some things with what's going on with the boys. I have two young boys who are going through the change and thankfully uh, they are really good natured about it because it is so incredible. Like every week I swear I have a different voice in front of me and we laugh about it and we, I get him to talk a little bit and I kind of find where his speaking voice is. And then we start there and we go into our lesson, but I've transposed songs I don't know, two, three times, but, uh, yeah, for sure. And there, you know what, there's many schools of thought on how to teach boys through this change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's probably another topic for its very own podcast. Mm -hmm. And I won't go into all of that, but there are several schools of thought on how to manage through the change, including like the Cambiata approach and the Mm -hmm. Cooksey system, just to name a few. And, and, you know, another good book, that has a lot of that information 
Um, well, you know, you can just even Google some of those things. But um, Kenneth Phillips um, has a book called Teaching Kids to Sing. Yes. And he's got a really great section. Um, and he kind of breaks down kind of the history of, of all of the different systems and, and why he thinks this one or that one works. Because I've actually heard people say, like, oh, no, they just shouldn't take voice lessons until they're voice. <laughs> I have a lot of my colleagues, uh, men, vocalists, uh, who, who didn't study through the voice change. They, their teachers didn't work with them. They, they, they studied theory. <laughs> they took a break from singing lessons and they studied their theory. But, but they don't do that in the famous boy choir still no. around the world today. No. They would never, they would, they would just kind of keep moving them from section to section, maybe <laughs> an alto today and maybe you're a tenor tomorrow. Right. <laughs> right. I think, well, I think there's so much more information out there and, and resources available for those who are working with changing voices, which is so wonderful. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But so anyway, I just, you know, I hope all of this information is, is kind of helpful, but want to just clarify, you know, how teachers can kind of use some of this in their own studios and maybe even to offset some of those people that are, you know, not on board <laughs> with the whole notion. Um, but I just really want everybody to understand that it is not dangerous to teach young prepubescent singers, especially if we know what we're dealing with. And, and, and we as teachers know what technical facilities are in place and what physical limitations there might be. And again, you know, keeping in mind pitch range, loudness, flexibility, stamina, those are all those are those big factors that we need to take into account when working with kids. You know, I see the way that the baseball coaches work with the kids on my son's team. He's seven. And yeah. I saw the way that the, the, the instructors at the dojo at the martial arts school work with the kinder kids, you know, um, yeah. and how they teach you know, the, the simple basics to the children as opposed to how I was taught as an adult mm -hmm. and how, you know, you're just mindful of smaller bodies and... Yeah, for sure. Well, it's like, like you just said, your son, you know, they're not having them play baseball and throw the ball as far as they do when they're adults and they're pros. And, and the same with gymnastics or mm. any of these ballet going on point. I mean, all of these different things they're setting things in place and, and that's why your your work you know your your full voice workbooks are so amazing because that's something that we can all incorporate into our lessons which you know another thing you know if you're just doing you know vocalizing and repertoire and songs in your lesson you're not giving that foundation of theory and ear training and all those other things and I hear people say, you know, even at the college level, kids are not coming in with a basic understanding of solfege and, and sight reading. And, and so what if we all started getting on board with teaching kids and teaching them all of this foundation and teaching them the basic, you know, things about breathing and how to produce pretty sounds and even some ugly sounds. Right. <laughs> to teach ugly sounds but they can be learning so many other things and and that's what they're doing in baseball they're not just learning how to play uh, a professional baseball game right <laughs> you know, i i love everything that you just said there that's why 
you are my soul sister. <laughs> we we need to set that foundation. So I would, um, you have uh, your blog, first of all. I know you're just getting started, but you've got some fantastic articles. And, and but I want you to tell everybody about your sequencing. That just kind of came out of, again, like I said, um, when I was teaching in the elementary school and, you know, you have to have this curriculum. Uh, and, and I'm trying to come up with, you know, what are the key points that we want to be teaching in, in music and in singing? And then, you know, then those topics come up again. You've talked about them on your podcasts and you've had a podcast devoted to just lesson pacing, but because I think that is the key to working with kids is understanding that they need a different kind of pacing in their lesson than just what maybe I or we were trained at when we were in college or wherever we took our voice lessons, you know. Mm And, 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 and so in my sequence, I have, you know, the, the, the first stage where we kind of, you know, do our, you know, body work and stretches and, and, and mind body things. Cause I, I try to get the kids to, to focus, you know, mm-hmm. you never know what you're going to get when they come in, they come in and, you know, they're tired, they're hungry. Maybe they just came from school or maybe they, you know, of course we have that with every student, you never yeah. know. Exactly. Those high school girls that were just dropped off by their mother and <laughs> they had a fight in the car or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But but you you know, I I I notice with the, the littles that I have, it's focusing. Sometimes they just wanna they wanna tell me about their day or they <laughs> notice that there's a new, you know, something on my piano and they're always distracted. So you know, starting with just a five minutes or so of just some mind body things, they can always be related back to singing mm-hmm. right so maybe I do the call and response things and and you're working on getting them to you know sing a cappella and sing back the pitches that they heard or whatever right. and it also gets them focusing so you know you're 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 tapping into so many skills um, and so I've just found that my sequence you know helps but you know like I may not do all five parts of the sequence. Maybe they came in and we are still working on focusing halfway through. (laughs) Yes. But but I have adults that I have to work on focus with them through their lessons as well. So, and you know, honestly, they, they like some of, you know, some of the things that we do, can we do that again? And, you know, or, you know, all of those kinds of different techniques that maybe they just are enjoying it so much and, and we'll just do it again or whatever. And they, and then they love the yoga postures and maybe they just need to relax and mm-hmm. unwind. And maybe they just need to do some, you know, more breathing exercises that are kind of in the shape and form of a, of a yoga stretch, you know? Right. Um, so I don't lock myself into those five different things, but they're there, especially when I'm starting with a new student, you know, I kind of hit on all five because again, I find with the kids, they need, they can't just stay on one thing for a very long time. They get very distracted and, and, and they have a hard time staying on, on, on that because, you know, something that we, we didn't really get into, which is not really the, the structure of that larynx, but is how, their sensory motor skills are not really controlled yet either. Right, right, 
Well, I find too with kids, um, if you're not paying attention, if you're not mindful and you're not watching their body language, if you keep, yes. if you force a child to stay on a specific task, it, it can really upset them. Yes. And that's, that's, I often hear that from teachers. Well, they, they refuse to do this and they, da, 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 and I'm like, I, <laughs> I know where you're at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you know what? And I like, and I, t- I can relate because there, there are days where I don't feel like singing either. And if somebody makes, asks me to sing, it makes me really angry. So I can relate to that with my kids. So keeping them, forcing them on task, like to stay on task is really cruel and unusual right. punishment. And again, our piano colleagues recognize this because they, they have off the bench activities. They know yes. that asking a child to sit and focus like that for a mm-hmm. half hour is not productive. It's not conducive to a lesson that is fun or will they even retain anything. So we can do the same thing with our pacing and with our sequencing. I love the fact that you put a lot, like you do a lot of movement in body. Yes. In fact, I I have to tell you, I started doing a a much more of that because of your blog. (laughs) Oh, okay. yeah. I was like, you know what? That Dana, she is smart and I'm going to do some of this. And my kids really, no, my kids really loved it. They really yeah. loved it. It really helped them kind of calm down and settle themselves. And they have their favorite ones. You know, I have, I, I kind of made up this, this practice chart for them. And then, you know, I let them pick, well, you know, because I have so many with it, within each kind of sequence I have all kinds of different activities and 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 so I let them pick well, what do you, what do you want to do today and you know like even with with your um full voice workbooks you know well what maybe they just want to do the the flashcards and right. we play some fun games with the flashcards mm-hmm. oh my gosh they love that stuff you know we can get on the floor and and you know like we're playing a card game or something you right. know and, yeah and build songs or or whatever and and so I, I let, a lot of times let them choose um, what they want to do yeah. um, within that sequence. And, and, and that, so- has, that empowers them, right? So, I mean, kids are constantly being told what to do all day long. Yes. And when we can give them choices, then they stop fighting, right? I, I'm, that's something I've, I, I, you know, I'm so good with other people's children, but when it comes to my own child, and I and I've I've slowly learned that wow if I give him choices he actually we actually get along better. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, um, I would like to just uh, take a few minutes to talk about our Facebook group. Yes. So yes. I for those of you who don't know, um, Dana was actually the person who suggested to me. And I'm really glad that she did this, that we should start a, uh, a Facebook group for voice teachers who work with young singers. And um, I, I had thought about it, but then I kind of shelved it. And then Dana brought it back up to my attention. I thought, yes, this is a great idea. I want to have a safe place where people can ask about all things singing with children but honestly, I have to I have to shout out to this incredible community. There's so many passionate teachers who are sharing their joy and their passion and their success stories and and also their struggles. And because uh, teaching is hard, like with any demographic, you know, teaching, private teaching is challenging 
And um, you need that support. And I mean, the big reason that we started the, the group was because uh, on other forums, when people asked about helping a student and if they were a young student, how many, you know, they would ask, oh, I've got this six-year-old and she's doing this. And what was really disheartening and frustrating and would make me so angry, like my eye would start twitching, I'd get so mad, <laughs> was yeah. how many people were so eager to tell them that they shouldn't be working with kids or I don't, this is why I don't work with children or, you know, and then of course, what we've been talking about today, oh, you're going to hurt their voices and children are not ready for this. And, and the, the threads, and it still happens it still happens. So I'm just going to, I'm going to put a shameless plug out there. If you are a teacher and you're working with kids and you want a supportive group of really passionate teachers, voice teachers for young singers on Facebook, come and find us. We will, uh, you'll, you'll have to answer our questions, our secret <laughs> questions. Well, so a lot of people don't answer them. And, you know, I just want to put out there, if anybody is listening to this, you know, some people have like a Facebook page that you, there's nothing on there that is any indication that they are, you a know, voice professional or even, a, even a musician of any sort. Right. And, and we do get weird people requesting yes. to join our group. So mm -hmm. we do want to be careful and, um, but I just love, I love in the morning when I wake up and I, and I go on Facebook and I see, oh, this person is like, wants to join our group and they're from Australia or Germany or China. And I just love that it's become so international. And I, I love that. It's so fantastic. And not only that, but we have some incredible, um, uh, composers who are specifically yeah. writing for children uh, yes. on our group, which I think is fantastic. So, um, but yeah, I really wanted to thank you because uh, I, to be honest with you, I, 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 I didn't want to do it by myself. <laughs> Well, I didn't either. And like I said, I feel guilty because you're, you've taken the reins and, and it's, and you're, you're so awesome at, at everything you do. I, so, you know, thank you for, for that. Cause, um. Well, really I'm, uh, I'm just so thankful that you could join me on the podcast. We've been talking about this for quite some time. And I know, I know that I will have you back for another topic. You will become like a regular podcast visitor. <laughs> if, if you're if you're okay with that. I am. Oh, okay. I'm <laughs> very okay with that. Right, right. Oh, inspiring words. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. So there you have it. A very special thank you to my good friend, Dana Lentini, for sharing all her wonderful information. If you are a voice teacher and you are looking for a supportive community of passionate teachers, please check out our Facebook group, Voice Teachers for Young Singers. As always, I am wishing you an inspired day of teaching and happy singing. You have been listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and free teacher resources, please visit our website at www.thefullvoice.com. Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca.